Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to Jerusalem News, the Israel Teacher's Lounge, which we don't know where the apostrophe goes, where we keep you in touch with what's going on in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, who read the title pretty straight this week, Michael Unterberg. How is that, Alan? It's great. With co-host, as always, Alan Goldman. Um, I don't know. I think that's I think that's accurate. And back after a long hiatus. Alan Goldman, yes, that's accurate. That's my name. Yeah. <laughs> I got the name of the podcast right. I got your name right. Exactly. I can retire. Uh, and here and after... I got your name right, too. That was good. That is pretty good. Alan, he's trying to introduce me. I know. <laughs> somebody's, somebody's waiting to be introduced, Alan. Uh, he's playing on his phone, so it doesn't, you know... Okay, it's I'm actually preparing. preparing. He's tweeting. Preparing, preparing for the podcast. I, I don't know if that makes it better. Yeah. <laughs> Here's Benji Davis. How's it going, Benji? Hola. Ooh, that was <laughs> How awesome. are you? Okay, a little less, a little more gentle into... Sorry. Okay. You can just be normal. These new microphones since I've last been here. I know. Oh, yeah, so yeah listeners... Lean in... You know, yeah. Listeners, I think, will notice that the audio is a little different as we're trying to figure out how to use these new lavalier mics, these new uh, lapel mics. mics. Yeah, it's been the last few weeks. Uh, I think it's working okay, but you'll let us know. Uh, today's topic really isn't a... We, there is some current events that we could cover that we're not going to. <laughs> like, uh, I, on my way to Jerusalem today, I was driving north on 60, and driving south on 60 was a whole was like, I don't know, 30 vehicles all going to take apart uh, the Tiva vote in uh, Gush Etzion. Efrat. Thank you. Across from Efrat. Thank you. It is, but but that's actually... I just don't have the strength to talk about it. Yeah. I don't know that I have so much new to say. You know, that's what I mean. It's like, what, what else is there to say? It's just, that was a fight not over sovereignty but over property ownership, and somebody found a property line that ran through their homes. Was that done as a political thing? Yes. Of course. Did they actually find somebody who showed that their building without a license on somebody else's property line was a problem? Yes. Everybody's playing games, and they got caught. I felt terrible for them. Right, and then, and then on the Israeli side, it's games and politics. And, and these poor people. I'm curious how it's going to affect the politics of it. Um, it's not. It's going to be a blip. But you don't think it's a lot the politics of people of that what? voted for Bibi because they wanted to ensure a right-wing government when like, now we're for sure voting for Bennett. Well, what happened in Amona? Amona was a much bigger deal. It happened last year. Same thing. They built their property. It wasn't a question of sovereignty. It was a question of property. They built their homes without permits on land that didn't belong to them. The left-wing NGO comes in, says, you didn't have, it's not your property. It goes all the way to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court says, you can't build a house that's not your property. Tear it down. They tore it down. What did that do to the politics? Not much. Not much. There's no other option on the right anyway, so it's not like Bennett's going to win. But that was not just different. That's like an upper-middle-class issue. Those homes are worth a lot of money. So... I don't know. I just think it's different. It's more mainstream place. Than it is more mainstream than Amona. Those are it's the more moderate set right. so, area versus. So that's why they're also more likely to say, "Well, kind of time accept to move, it and move on." on. Uh, according to my Facebook feed, it didn't seem like <laughs> that was the case. Yeah, um, for now, but they'll you know because the burning, it's the burning and upset. But those houses also, weren't built with the property shurim. They, they weren't. They weren't. They were not. Yeah, they weren't. The property shurim in this country is. <laughs> 
doesn't no, really exist. No, it doesn't necessarily mean no here. So it doesn't. The bureaucracy is so oppressively disgusting that people build and they figure, oh, we'll figure it out later what to do. I'm living in my house five years. And you need to have your Tofes Arba? I do not have a population permit. A residency permit. Residency permit in my house. We've been five, five years. Five years. Can, they, can they come in and kick you out because you don't have it? Probably. I guess so. I mean, they give me water, they give me electricity, they give me... They are Nona? Yeah. Property taxes? Yeah. Property Doesn't property matter, taxes. it's a different so they'll office. they'll take your money, but they won't give you the permit. Yeah, I mean, we have to apply, we're applying for it, like everybody else in our, in where and I don't live in the, I don't live in the West Bank, I live in, in 49 Israel. boundaries of Israel. So, it, it's just, it, it's just, it is a bit still Middle Eastern. It's still Middle Eastern. Bring guy over. <laughs> Sign the paper, and that's it. There's an old Brian Vegan routine about when he lived in New York and he wanted to get his phone line started. So he calls up the phone company, and they say, all right, your phone will be on in a week. And he's like, a week? It's plugged into the wall now. They're like, I know, but it takes a week. He's like, what is it, like a switch? Should I come in and do it? Like, is it a really big switch, and you need to, like, have five people pushing? This is bureaucracy. We have a, a, what are those called, like a big book of forms that have to be all... Completed, and some of them we've done. And some By the way, when Arabs, so when Arabs, I should just rent for the rest of my life. Yeah, pretty. Much. First of all, economically, it, it's it's more. It makes economically more sense to invest your money and rent than to buy property in Israel. I find that hard to believe. It's, it's so expensive. What the economists say? Because again, I'm I stink at it. I I got a D in Marxist economy in college. That was the last economics class I took. But but like people in the know. Say that it's better. It economically makes more sense to invest your money because property is so expensive here. It's so expensive to buy property. It's ridiculous. I mean, you know. I mean, I got a little bit lucky. I must say, we we are so basically. So basically, these people, these poor people, are being kicked out of their homes. There's nothing much they can do about it. And I don't know that the government no. owes them anything for it because the government is permission. giving them a lot. They're a they built on caravans on a hilltop next door, and they're going to get 1.6 million shekels in cash compensation. Oh, they are. Yeah, but their houses are worth more. Their houses well, are for sure. They don't have to well, give no, them that because they didn't land. It depends how much they paid for the land. Because all I know is I read on the, on the news that each family is going to get 1.6 million shekels. Yeah, it depends. Again, it depends on the size of the house and all that. Right. But I, and the land, the land is what's expensive right. in building, especially over there. In the Al-Azhar, land, you know. A, How much is million dollars? Yeah, uh, about four hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. yeah, the houses probably cost more than that. I would say they're. Uh, it depends what they paid for the land. No. It, it really depends what they paid for the land. You don't know. Well, if they if they if they paid for the land, like I did, they have a nice big house, uh, fifteen hundred to two thousand square feet. In an amazing community, suburb of Jerusalem. I'm just saying that in and of itself is worth. And they were built in the last 15 years. The house. More. I'm telling you, the bet. What cost of the house? The cost. Cost of building a house is the same everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking the about land the land is what makes it expensive. Value of the house now, not what they paid for it. And economic value is nothing because it was illegal. It's getting torn down. So there's no economic value of the house. Right, they couldn't sell it. Yeah, you know, that's. Mean, there's the market, and people would pay for it. If, they, if there was a house there. Yeah. But there's not a house. People don't pay for it because there's no house. There's well, anyway, what I wanted to really talk about today was something that I noticed. <laughs> this is a podcast. It's what you listen to podcasts. Well, like, what Mike was talking about today is a mic uh, is a 
to- it was really a Mike topic. This is a Mike Why topic. Why is it a Mike topic? Because it's, it's one of his things. Well, I, it's yeah. like a really... My entry point is about a lot. By the way, I didn't say sorry for the Cavaliers lost to you, Mike. I don't know if you care. I'm okay with that. No, don't care. <laughs> uh, it's the beauty of not caring about sports. I was pretty happy because they kicked out David Blatt, so... <laughs> yeah, if there's a bad... If there's a bad Star right, Trek yeah. episode, I'm upset. But if it's a sports <laughs> thing, I don't really care. Okay, fine. Uh, basically, I was noticing an interview. I, I'm getting into it through a tangent to get to what I think is the main topic. But basically, I, 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 there was an interview in the Times of Israel last week or two weeks ago with the uh, American ambassador, David Friedman, who and, and the Times of Israel asked him, do you think that Israel is less of a bipartisan issue in the United States than it used to be? And he said yes. And he said, you know, look, we have to do what we can to fix it, but really that's more of the Democrats' problem. I can't fix it as a Republican. The Democrats have to fix it. Which, to me, I always worry, like, okay, now you're not talking bipartisan. You know, whenever you say... It was, first of all, why is this happening? That Israel is becoming not as agreed upon as it used to be. Why, when it used to be, we used to say, and, you know, I think with complete honesty, that whatever side of the aisle you sat in in Congress, if you were serious about your office, with a few weird exceptions, on the whole, you had to support Israel. And now something is shifting, and it is shifting in the Democratic Party. Yeah. How did that happen? I think it's pretty simple. Just the politics in America are becoming divided. There's no real issue that's bipartisan anymore. So how can you expect... Israel not to follow the political trends of American society. I mean, it's so tribal and divided, and you have a, you know, the last two administrations, which have been very partisan, you know, and passing very um, massive legislation on a partisan scale and changing the rules um, to pass legislation. Um, so to think that Israel wouldn't succumb to the consequences of a more partisan climate in D.C., I think we're kidding ourselves. So you're saying it's not Israel, it's everything. Since everything is... No, it's not Israel, it's America. It's American politics. It's American politics. Since everything in American politics has become tribal, so Israel has to be a tribal issue, you have to have two sides. Because we have to be arguing, we can't agree. I And there are uh, ways of understanding what is happening here within the lenses of the different political camps. But that was always the case. It used to be the Democrats used to support the Israeli left more and the Republicans supported the Israeli right more. But today you're feeling, you know, you can hear from Bernie Sanders. There's a bashing of Israel in general. And it could, a decade ago you're saying we're not Bernie Sanders, A, would not be a mainstream leader or perceived candidate for president he wasn't, 15 I mean, years ago. He wasn't. Two it's not even ago. theoretical. He wasn't. No, but what do you mean? He went... Up until the last primary, the Democratic primaries against Hillary Clinton. In the last election, but you're saying 10, 15 years ago, he was a fringe guy. Exactly, that's the point. So his politics were fringe. Clearly, as he has become more of a leader, and his voice is seen as legitimate, and he can fill up arenas at 20,000 people, right? But, okay, so where he's coming from, but there's clearly backing. I mean, why at the Democratic convention in 2016, the only flag they burned outside of it was the Israeli flag? And how's that happening? Well, that's, it's, that's the issue of why is Israel still such a hot issue. No, what I'm saying is because I think that wing has been brought in. It's not such an extreme left anymore. Like Occupy Wall Street is a part 
of democratic politics now, just as, you know, white nationalists, anti-Semites, and KKK supporters are in the Republican parties. And the divide in American politics, extremes, you know, are being brought into the mainstream, and you have a president that was supported by a lot of that extreme fringe of the Republican Party, and if Bernie Sanders had won the Democratic primary, you essentially have two fringes of the mainstream parties have been running against each other. I mean, that, that may be where America's going if this partisanship keeps going, and then I don't know how it holds together. See, that's, a, that's creating the polarized climate. Sure. I, I would argue uh, that... The, and it's influencing the American Jewish community as well with regards to Israel. I think you're right, but I would yes and it. In other words, I do think in general there's a general reason, but there's also a particular reason. The collapse of the Israeli left. The Israeli left came to the Israeli people in the 90s and said the Oslo process is going to get us normalcy and peace and quiet. When the Oslo process unraveled in the Second Intifada, the Israeli left has never recovered. And so if you're an American who wants to put his faith in the Israeli left, you have nobody. Right. For our students, Just like you're Israeli, <laughs> right? Exactly. For our students, the only prime minister they know is ben- Benjamin Netanyahu. I made Aliyah in October 2009. Only prime minister I know is an Israeli. I've been here almost nine years. That's wow. true, but That's in your nuts. but when you but in your memory, right? I have a memory of when I was here in my bar mitzvah, July 2000. That Barack was at Camp David in Oslo. Right. I remember going to day school and hearing about Rudy Bean's assassinations. Like right. The first memory that there was an Israeli prime minister right. was about eight. Our students only can they, you can teach them history, but they, they only remember BB. Right. So, so what has this brought up in your mind, Mike? Like you've thought about like well, how's it, how's it, how do you guys talk about this in the classroom because 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 we're dealing with and and um, a good chunk of our students are from the United States. We have to talk about the politics. We talk about current events in class. We have to discuss politics. We'll have people from both sides of the aisle in a classroom. How do we have an intelligent conversation about international politics, but in particular American politics, when we're teaching about Israel? And when, and, right, American politics as it, as it influences Israel. And yeah, I have a room with people who love President Trump and a room with people who hate President Trump. How do we have a car- how do we as teachers have constructive, positive conversations in that environment? You have to say, okay, let's try... Well, first of all, do you? Yes. Alan? Mm, yeah, mostly. Mostly meaning you don't talk about it very often, or when you talk about it, sometimes no. it's not positive? Yeah, mostly. No, I would say mostly is that um, there are definitely schools where I have one or the other. We'll find that there are schools that are basically the whole student body is only Trump supporters. It's not really an issue. And vice versa. Yeah, but I find even in those schools, first of all, I'm always worried that there's a closet. Dafka in a school like that where it's so monolithic, I'm always worried that there's somebody who's closeted. And And I want to make an example of we can have an intelligent conversation without being tribal. Right, so I'm saying so the... They almost all are monolithic, as you said. Like, I can't think of an educational space I've been involved with where it hasn't either been all for one side or another. Oh, really? Really? Like, in terms of at least Trump, like, and I meet a lot of, like, groups that are coming for a short time, and I'll be with them for 90 minutes, and they're almost always, no one likes Trump. Uh, in a non-orthodox group in Israel, I mean, a non-orthodox Jewish group in Israel, like you'll rarely—I mean, r- I'm talking about rarely. 
and maybe there's one person. Uh, and then in terms of the gap years, um, the liberal gap years, there are barely any Trump supporters at all. I mean, I can't even think of one of my students that was. Really? And then in the Orthodox schools, it's a mix. Uh, the, the liberal Orthodox schools that I would teach at, let's say it's a mix and maybe more centrist Orthodox, you know, definitely more supportive, supportive Trump, but there's still an understanding of why Trump is good for Israel versus, uh, you know, his character is problematic, but people are willing to compromise on that. And that's kind of been... So I think with the schools, no matter what, or groups in terms of talking about it, is how do you separate your opinion of the administration and the character of the leadership from their policy with regards to Israel and what you think is good for Israel? So it's three That's issues. a very hard thing for a lot of people to do. Yeah. Because I try to ask every group I speak with, do you see the conflict ending without international recognition that the state of Israel gets to choose its capital? So therefore, if I mean, most people say, actually, I think the conflict only ends when the international community recognizes that Israel gets to say Jerusalem to its capital. Okay. So the fact of whatever you think about Trump, can you separate your opinions about him, whether they're good or bad, from an act that he does, which you can interpret to be good or bad? Well, you've made, if, I can, if, if I'm correct, three categories. Mm-hmm. How the particular administration treats Israel how the particular administration has other policies, whether international or, or domestic, domestic. Yeah. and the personas, the people, the individuals themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can get students to separate those, you can have a more productive conversation. You have to. And I, I do it for myself, because I'm not an individual who's supportive of the current administration, let's say, how I voted, and how I feel about the character of some of the leaders, but I interpret different policies that they do, which some I think are detrimental to America, and some that I think are very good for America and very good for Israel. Well, that's why I think this issue is really relevant, because I think what we are forced to do professionally in order to have a productive conversation is what people, I think, should be doing. I think what's going wrong in society is that people aren't making those kinds of distinctions, and they're having single-sided conversations where they're all or nothing based on tribe. And I think what we, because of our profession, I think we have something to say about good advice on how do you have productive you know I don't believe that people shouldn't be able to have conversations about politics or religion I think people of goodwill who disagree should be able to have intelligent conversations okay we're both intelligent we both disagree why can't we have an intelligent conversation I understand in the current climate why it's hard but that's not good it's just because we're delegitimizing the individuals so like a Haredi person I'm assuming won't how could I even listen to a reform rabbi teach Torah because they're legitimately they're not legitimacy to be a rabbi just as let's say a reform person would be like I'm not going to an orthodox institution that doesn't allow women the same rights as men right so you're, you're delegitimizing either the institution or the individual and I think based on we, ideological positions exactly or tribal positions right so how do we then say okay what if we can just remove that delegitimization that you have even if, if it's re- like I understand where you're coming from, and maybe it's so much against your values that you can't even hear this person talk. But let's say but we have to understand that, you know, this person or this institution makes an impact on how we interpret what is happening globally or locally or in our region. So how can we look at what that impact is, and can you see it for what it is taking away if you think that person is not legitimately... 
um, acceptable in your eyes. Well, you, you, I would just want to ask them if you, yeah. you feel you've been successful in class to be able to do that. They, By isolating the you, exactly, you, you get for the record. The Benji is nodding, it. listeners. Benji was nodding. Oh, I was nodding. <laughs> yeah, I've been on a podcast in a while, and I even forgot I was being recorded. I just yeah. music, <laughs> teachers' lounge. That's the teachers' lounge, right? No, yeah, it. I can't today. It's the only way to talk about it. Meaning, isolate the issue because then I have to get no matter which crowd I'm with, I have to get the legitimacy. That I, I am viewed as um, acceptable to, to facilitate such a conversation. Teachers have to do that, exactly. Right? And we do that, I think, with lots of different issues, but especially in the Trump age. Yeah. And I think Obama prepared us for this. Well, I think way. Bush prepared of, us. I think Clinton right, prepared us. This is because, or he started it. <laughs> Who? Obama. No, I think uh, I think it starts during the Clinton era. Yeah. Oh, mean, okay. So and it just keeps getting yeah. worse. I think right. it's been getting worse and worse. And worse. So, so it doesn't start with Trump. We can all agree on that. Trump no, is Trump's a result. A consequence. Yeah. Trump's a consequence. I'm not saying he isn't making it better. His his certainly he's not working to bring people together with his tweets or his. No, it's all, I mean in terms of bringing people together, it's the opposite. Yeah. Um, but no, it it shouldn't be shocking that American political leadership today has gotten to where it has based, I would say, on the evolution of the, of the climate of the last decade, two decades. But your point about, you made two points that I think are important. One of them is like separating. Like I just said, I don't think Trump's tweets are bringing people closer together. Why you shouldn't be able to know what my opinions are on any of his policies from that statement. Right? Right. I shouldn't, that shouldn't mean I'm picking a side. It means I have an opinion about how he tweets. Yeah, but I think ago someone who's wearing a Make America Great Again hat I heard you say that they're just like and that's a, this media that is something worth news what you just said it's worth teaching students that that's something to avoid that's something I, by the way it's not my mother if it's my mother then I have to defend my mother at all costs it's a politician I hired him to do a job how's he doing I as the supervisor because I'm the citizen get to say here's what I like here's what I don't like and they're all going to have that so it's important for me, I think, to be able to separate that. The other thing you said was, that I think is something I do, that I believe in, is your job is to understand the other guy. In other words, I have a, I have a policy that if there's a, if there's a large opinion in a democratic nation that I say, I don't understand it, it's just crazy. That's on me. If it's a mainstream political opinion... I can disagree with it. I don't have to change my mind. That's not how democracy is supposed to work. But I should be able to understand it. It should make sense to me. What, and a, a policy. Name a policy. Whatever policy. Let's say I, I agree or disagree with policy X. I agree with Trump's. Uh, uh, how about health care? You know, universal health care. Universal. I, I agree with. Uh, let's say I agree with President Trump wants to dismantle uh, Obamacare. Let's say I agree. I should be able to understand the people who support Obamacare. As soon as I say, it's just crazy, okay, then, then you've missed the point of a well, democracy. You're, you're, you're approaching this like Gamara class. Correct. Well, that's what Benji was saying earlier. You have to be able, don't delegitimize the other. Say, the other is a participant in a society that I live in. It's well worth my understanding them, whether or not I disagree. Even if all it means is I'll be able to argue better against their position because I disagree. But I've legitimized you as a member I'm sharing society with. Calling them crazy and writing them off is not productive. Right, because even, sorry to get back to 
sports. Now the champions of the sports leagues in America don't go to the White House. Right. right. Eagles. Right. <laughs> right. That Trump is illegitimate in their eyes. And Trump sees these guys that are just against him and have been tweeting against him. Instead of being like, okay, maybe we can find common ground in sports even though we disagree on policy. Oh, no. I'm just inviting you. But it's also, right, it's also, I mean, it's, it's broken down the whole parameter of, of like, government, right? Like, in other words, in Israel, we have this whole, this whole um, office of the presidency. And everybody's like, what does the presidency do? Like, because the prime minister runs the government. What does the president do? Well, the president is kind of supposed to be above that by those... He's the neutral leader that everybody shares. Right? And really, this president really is. And therefore, when you have like that kind of thing, that's what happens in the president's house because it's above the politicalization right. of the... Of the, I think it's of the, the same idea as, as having a king or a queen. It's somebody yeah. who's not political, who represents the people as a figurehead, but doesn't get involved in either either side of the politics. I, I think that's a positive thing that maybe is missing. But I also think yeah. that we as a society, and I, look, I'll tell you, people used to complain much more about how bad Israeli politics were, how toxic they were. I mean, I think Israeli politics are a breath of fresh air compared to American politics. <laughs> Maybe what's going on? I don't know. Right, so there's some shouting in the. I mean, don't forget. There's the some shouting in the was, Knesset. The prime minister was uh, was interviewed by the police yesterday for five hours in his home over the. And yeah, another I mean, come on, they had the Mueller investigation in America. No, I'm saying, I'm just saying, whatever. Israeli politics has its own craziness too to it. Politics is crazy. Right. Politics is is argumentative. Politics is combative. Politics is very often gets mean and dark and nasty. That's what politicians are supposed to do. We as citizens. Oh, so now I want to know, citizens, what are we as teachers supposed to do with politics? You said earlier it's not. We shouldn't not be teaching politics or religion. Or not talking. When my about students want when the when the embassy moves and my students want to know, and, and and I get this question all the time. Oh, so is this president good for Israel? Right. Was that president good for Israel? I, I don't like... you got to deconstruct the question. you got to. Which is, okay, which, the policy now might be good, right? I mean, but Obama gave more money for, like, uh, in terms of... 3.7 billion the, the, the memorandum of understanding, extra money for Iron Dome. I mean, he really... More funding than any American president ever. But if you don't like the Iran deal and you don't like this pressuring of the Israeli government on the settlement issue, then okay, so was Obama good for Israel or not? Depends on how you're looking at it. Trump, Paul, okay, decertifying the Iran deal, depends on how you look at it. You know, the Palestinians won't talk to Trump right now. Is that good for Israel? That America's not seen as a mediator by the other side? What I like to explain to my students is there's two ways to look at it. Exactly. You make up your mind what you think is good, but don't, don't do eight... Don't do that thing of this president is good or bad for Israel. It's not pass-fail. Pick which policies to Israel you think are better or worse. It's like when you're grading, right? If you don't agree with the student but it's excellent writing and they make their argument, you still get an A. Right? So it's an understand the different sides and you make your decision. I'm not going to say if Trump's good for Israel or not. I want to look at what's been happening the last year and a half and then we can have a conversation. Do we think this is good for Israel or do we think it's not good for Israel? When I was a kid, they always told me Richard Nixon saved Israel in 73 because he rushed all those weapons in once we got invaded. But he also convinced Golda Meir not to preempt, which is what got us invaded and got thousands of Israeli soldiers killed. And all that equipment lost that we need to... So so is that good for Israel or bad for Israel? And he was drunk. And anti-Semitic. I do this when I teach about Oslo, too, by the way. Right. I do this when we often look at Oslo and we say, oh, Oslo was terrible. 
This is a total failure with the Palestinians. But the truth is, Oslo led to a much bigger, um, a much bigger process where Israel opened uh, tons of diplomatic relations with countries it didn't have before. It appeased the economy The economy boomed because we all of a sudden were no longer Zionism is racism and the UN was shot down, right. and and Israel stopped the boycott, uh, the Arab boycott, and much of a world boycott style against Israel. So you look at Oslo; it's a, it's looking on a micro yeah. or a macro or, or a different thing. So. Piece that came out this week that Israel's had. Back-channel relations with the UAE for 20 years. Right, since right. Oslo. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, it opened yeah. the world. A lot of these Oslo opened the world to Israel right. and had ramifications for us at home. Right. There's no doubt about it. That's right. So, so you have to look at the pros and, and the cons. The right. right. And then you make your decision. Was it good enough? What yeah. is the most important thing? A thousand Israelis were killed between 2000 and 2005 because of the second intifada. Is that, that why? That's is that because a, of Oslo? Well, it certainly came out that they were much better uh, uh, armed in the second intifada than they were the first intifada yeah. because they had securities. The second intifada without it. Right, but it's very much potentially it wouldn't have been as lethal. If there was an Oslo process where we armed the Palestinian security forces, where they had complete control to develop bomb labs, to all these kinds of things, it wouldn't have been as lethal. Right. Right? I mean, so, you're making a good argument, saying, but I could argue in another way also. And I think, uh, I think that's yeah. sort of the point. Exactly. Is that we're not talking about... We're not talking 100%. about... Everything is. Uh, we Everything keep is using and the white. word monolithic and black and white. Right. It's it's that's it's. Thing. Right. That's what in the political climate today. And it's in, black and white. And our classes, and that's what we that's what we encounter in our classes. I do yeah. encounter in the class. Our classes are are sort of part of the, our goal in our classes is showing that things are complex. Right. That they're not simple. And we face this this world of black and white. No, you could. You could. We face this world of black and white that people are expecting. I would, I would, I would argue that it's an advantage to the anti-Israel world to make things black and white. That's their, that's their big tactic. Oh, it's not self-defense; it's, it's uh, war crimes. Right. But, but then it's also a challenge for our students that are so Zionist or pro-Israel and have only heard that specific narrative to hear about. Oh, well, actually, there's complexities when you're a state and you have to govern, and there are minorities, and there is. Territorial disputes and, and all this stuff. And there are so millions. Not, and when they hear these things, and we introduce them into the class, how can that not weaken their Zionist identity? But because we want to strengthen their Zionist identity, right. and their connection to Israel, at the same time, you know, understanding the challenges of this place and how actually they can still find this extremely redeeming, even when we have these issues of. No, but that by but that by the way that that type of that's exactly it. In other words, I'm going to show that I, I'm such a. It's so important to understand multiple perspectives that I can even go outside Israel and outside the Jewish world and still do it without losing my perspective. I have to understand the other perspectives, even of people who. First of all, if I have to understand my opponents, I should definitely understand my enemies, right? That's Sun Tzu. You have to understand. If somebody's legit your enemy, you have to understand them in order to beat them. But even just on a human level, right. it's not. we should never be satisfied with misunderstanding. We should always be able to understand. And the world is complex. And that's part of what we do. And maybe we're kind of uh, in our class by bringing in different perspectives, different teachers, or sorry, different speakers from the political spectrum in Israel. Um, that we're kind of showing that politics doesn't have to be this way, where you can bring in people from the other side, and you can listen to them and respect them as human beings, and hearing their opinion, which you might totally disagree, can strengthen how you feel about yours. Um, 
But I don't know why we're we're programmed that way. When I meet a person who I disagree with and they explain it, it could be the same argument that I heard in the abstract. It's different when I meet the person. For sure. And you're seeing them as a human being. Yeah. Um, And I think we should always have the open mind to keep learning as educators. But we want our students not to get into this black and white world, but rather see it as I should always seek out other opinions so I become a better human, more knowledgeable, and potentially it just strengthens where you're coming from and that your identity is real and you want to be respected by those on your team and not on your team. So if you show that same respect to to those on the outside, you know, I think it only helps you. Yeah, your priority shouldn't be defeating the other guy in the other tribe. It should be figuring out how you can persuade him if you if you if you feel strongly about your political opinion but to do that you have to understand him i also what i've been thinking about like we've been talking is that i'm inspired by complexity right and i want my students to be inspired by complexity but that's not always simple to to it's complicated year plus with gap year have you seen a change in how students feel about complexity? That's a great question. Well, that's a great question. I don't know if I can offer it on the cuff. I think I have to you think about it. it. I think it would be a cuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, or cuff. Blog, maybe blog post this yeah. and people come back to the J.E. Rosero website and see Yeah, exactly. I think quite honestly, I tend to be the one of like, students don't really change all that much. We think they do. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, like people are still as cur- as, as curious and excited and and engaged as always it's always in the right person it's in smartphones Mike and I have talked about this before yep so we had notes in class you know I when I was when I was in elementary school I used to bring my cars to school and play in, under my desk with my cars and then it was smartphones so I played with my cars you know people were right. distracted culture distracted. changes it's society like, changes human nature stays the same like it's just the, the vehicle for the distraction maybe you know right. is, like, is different but yeah. I don't know if it's making people less engaged. I, I, I do think the messages our students are getting from society is, I think, the way I would say it, and I, I've, I've been teaching now for a lot of years, but not in gap year necessarily, but the expectation of students is the monolithic, good for Israel, bad for Israel. Well, especially if growing up in the classic I think it was like that when we were growing Jewish up. Jewish Zionist yeah, community. Like that too, when we were that's, up. that's how I grew up, for sure. There was even no... I mean, we had a second. Or not good. I even had a discussion with some of my classmates on Facebook before I left Facebook with, with um, a, I don't know, a while ago about how when the second Lebanese broke out, there was a, we had a big assembly. It was a big thing because Time Magazine put on it. Um, you know, there was like this very provocative anti-Israel after the sovereign Shatila. But anyway, eighty-two, but, eighty-two, exactly. The first Lebanon War. First Lebanon War. Eighty-two. Yeah. But but anyways, it was in high school and assembly, and it was like almost exactly like things happening now. It was very black and white. I was in school, and even though I was in a very you know open pluralistic liberal school, where it did bring up the other side, but it, it was, was like no, really no, no, Israel's trying to have regime change in the Middle East. Yeah, no, it's this comes in waves. Look, we say we say Trump is unprecedented. I don't know. People were pretty mad at Richard Nixon, you know. Right. My uncle's dartboard was Richard Nixon. Jason Robards was in a play. You know, people say, oh, entertainers get involved in politics. Jason yeah. Robards was in a play and Richard Nixon was in the audience. He wouldn't come on stage. And Ronald Reagan became president. <laughs> but, you know, th- that's in the age it's, where it, these tensions rise, these tensions fall. You know, JF, yeah. uh, LBJ was a baby killer. You, know, the, the, you get yeah. these more toxic and less, less right. toxic. But it's, I think, incumbent upon us to, as much as possible, model not just teachers, everybody, and to bring back the, the 
culture of civility and reason and discourse rather than whataboutism and put-downs and inshallah. Or at the very least, try to get the to engage the content and to be able to separate from that if we can't change it, which I'm not sure we can, but to just be like, okay, now we're going to focus for 50 minutes and we want to have a discussion on this specific topic. Separate your feelings if they're going to prevent you from, from having an intelligence. intellectually. And by the way, when you have a friend who you agree with, so the two of you can vent. Right. That's fine. But when you're having a bigger group discussion with people who don't necessarily agree, find a way to do that productively. Excellent. Sounds That's good. That's the point that you say is like a me point, right? Yeah. Not the David Friedman interview. No, no, no. That, that's your Yeah, that's your I think mantra. civility is... is your mantra. I, I think it's, it's the underpinning of, uh, you know, of, of, a, of a meaningful democratic society, but also it's the underpinning of how to be an intelligent, informed, critical thinking, wise, open-minded person. Citizen in the modern world. And it goes like back to Socrates. It's also the ancient world. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's not these are old. There's nothing new under the sun. It's right. the same old, you know, golden rule of do unto others as you would have. You would want them to listen to you, so you should be able to listen to them. Thanks, All right, guys. Well, good to see you, Bench. It was that great, was fun, great Bench. Glad to be back. All right. All right. Well, stay tuned for our summer episode updates where. Uh, I think next week we will have an episode. <laughs> Keep posted and we'll tell you because we're going to have some uh, breaks, but we'll try to get an episode out there even when we're on vacation. Okay, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Jerusalem U, the Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast. Please feel free to subscribe through whichever service you use. Also, come join us on the Facebook page and ask us questions and keep up to date with what we're doing. We love feedback. Also, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and review and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. It would make a very big difference for us, and you would earn our eternal gratitude. Thanks so much. 